A big welcome to those who are joining us online. I pray you will be blessed by the messages. And uh, it's so great having you joining us from wherever you are in the world. So great you can be part of the Connect Church family. If the messages have blessed you in any way, do write and let us know. We would love to hear from you. Church, can we put our hands together for anyone who's joining us online? That would be great. Recently, Anita and I returned from what was a miracle trip to Israel. We, uh, we joined what was called the Jerusalem Encounter Tour. And since returning, every person we've pretty much talked to is like, how was it? How was Jerusalem? In fact, even yesterday, we went and visited our families to pastoral visit who, who we haven't seen for a while. And just as soon as we sat down, they're like, how was Israel? How was uh, uh, Jerusalem? And so last week, today, and next Sunday, I just want to share with you my Israel impressions and my Jerusalem encounter. I want us to get a sense of the, uh, the nation because it is a nation that has touched us deeply. There's no doubt. It's a nation that's touched me deeply, more deeply than what I, what I expected would happen, actually. I, I, I'm touched to a greater level than what I ever thought would actually occur as I went there. Jerusalem is such a special place. It's such a beautiful place, such a special place. It's mentioned in the Bible more than 800 times. It astounds me when I hear people on the news and things saying there's no, or the UN proclaiming there's no Jewish history in Israel. Madness. Jerusalem is one of the oldest cities on earth with almost 4,000 years of history to the Jew Jerusalem is the center of the earth the very center of the earth in the scriptures it just says this in in John chapter 2 it talks about the first miracle that Jesus performed in in Galilee he turned water into wine verse 11 he says this is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana and Galilee, thus he revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. It says, after this, Jesus went down. Everybody say down. down. Jesus went down to Capernaum. That's by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. They stayed there for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Everybody say up. up. Jerusalem's always up. Friends, let me say something about you go up to meet God. That's what you do. You go, go up the mountain. I was talking to someone before on the last service, and he said, man, I'm going through a bit of a valley. Here's something I want you to understand from a Jewish perspective that, that is not part of our Western thing. We always think of valleys as bad. When you're going through a valley, we talk about the valley of the shadow of death. We only read that, that scripture, the valley of the shadow of death. Valleys are not bad. Valleys are very good places. Valleys are where people do life. People don't do life on the mountains. People don't do life. You ski on the mountain. You don't do life on the mountain. You do life in the valley. That's where life is. People say, but battles take place in the valley. Exactly. Your battles will take place in the valley, but valleys are good places. Valleys are good places. Valleys where the best soil is. Valleys where the rivers flow. Valleys where the crops grow. They don't grow on the mountain. Nothing grows on the mountains. You go up to the mountain to meet God. Come on, I can feel the Holy Ghost on this. You go up to the mountain to meet God. You, you live in the valley. You, 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 you live where the people is. Where do they build roads? They don't build roads up at the mountain. Who builds roads? It's too hard. You build roads in the valley. 
Valley is where life is done. Valley is where life is lived out. That's where the battles are fought. That's where, 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 where we do life. But you go up to the mountains to meet God. You go up to the mountains to meet Him. You always go up to Jerusalem. Doesn't matter what angle it comes from. Doesn't matter north, south, east or west. It doesn't matter. You always go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Remember last week we were talking about Galilee. The, uh, the, the, the freshwater lake of Galilee. Which is what? 214 meters below sea level. Right. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. In, in Luke chapter 10 verse 30. It tells of a man who fell among Thieves, where was he going from and to? It says he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You go up to Jerusalem, you go down to Jericho. Jericho is near the Dead Sea, a short distance from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, 2,500 feet above sea level. The Dead Sea, where Jericho is, is 430 meters below sea level, the lowest point on earth. So you can see the, and imagine the steepness of the ascent or the steepness of the climb if you're trying to go from Jericho to Jerusalem. To give you some perspective, Mount Kapakapanui that is behind us is at a lower point than what Jerusalem is. Jerusalem's another couple of hundred meters higher than Mount Kapakapanui. So you can, you can understand the, if you look at the sea out there and the distance between there and there, 430 meters. I mean, you, you, you get some perspective of where things are. But when people would go to meet God, they would go up. We do life in the valleys, but we go up to meet with him. Moses met God on the mountain. People, they stayed. Where did they stay? Down the valley. You go up. Come on, preachers preaching. I'm preaching way better than I did in the first day. I'm just telling you. Feel the Holy Ghost. So you can imagine the steepness of the ascent. Yet in ancient times, thrice a year, three times a year, the Jewish people, all of them, every man, woman, and child, would climb the Jericho to Jerusalem road. They'd make that road. They'd take that road. It wasn't the easiest road. In fact, there were many roads that were easier to get to Jerusalem. Why did they take the most difficult road? Well, everybody takes the easy road. Everybody takes the easy road. Why did they take the most difficult road? Because they were setting themselves apart. They were preparing themselves to get ready to meet with God. As they were ascending, they were going, we're getting our hearts ready to meet in the city of the great king, in the city of David, the city of our God. And so the Gentiles and all the others who would be flowing in doing trade in Jerusalem, they wouldn't take that road. It's too hard. They'd take an easier road. So we're wanting to be set apart. We're, we're a chosen people. So we want to be set apart. We want to be, we, we want to be different. We don't want to travel on the road everybody else is traveling. So we take the most difficult route to get there. Because Jerusalem's always up. And so they prepare their hearts and set their hearts Aside and prepare as they, as they made the climb. That's why Psalm 24 verse 3 says, Who may ascend? Who may go up? Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. It is so steep. It is 
It is actually said that as they would go up the mountain, so such was the climb that that often, I mean, even when we went up that climb from Jericho to the top there, the bus, let me tell you, it was like, it was in first gear. It was straining to get up uh, to the top. But they, they, they would say that the climb was so, so steep that it said that to encourage one another along the way, they would sing songs. They would sing songs. Come on, let's cheer ourselves up. It's a big, it's hot. It's high. <laughs> let's cheer ourselves up. Let's sing some songs. That's why 15 of the Bible Psalms, Psalm 120 through to 134, bear the label Songs of Ascent. They're going up. They're going up to the mountain of the Lord. They're going up to the great city. They're going up to the city of their, their king. In fact, the idea of ascending to Jerusalem persists even today. For example, Jews who immigrate, which they are doing by their thousands, by the way, as anti-Semitism grows around the world, thousands of, thousands of Jews are returning to Jerusalem in answer to the prophetic voice that's been declared in Scripture. The Jews are returning home by their thousands. And it's interesting today that when they immigrate to Israel, it is said that they are making the aliyah. The aliyah means what? The ascent. They're making the ascent back to Israel. Israel is the center of the earth for the Jew. You ascend to the mountain and we meet God on the mountain. So you can imagine the thrill when they reach the end of the climb as pilgrims going up, you can imagine the thrill after climbing that distance when finally their eyes come into the vista where their eyes are open and they can see, maybe for some, the, the, the first time they can see the walls of Jerusalem. They can see the ancient gates of the city of their God. A very emotional time for them. And I want to tell you, it was a very emotional time for for us, Anita was bawling her eyes out. She was weeping. And I must admit, I shed a tear or two. It's a pretty emotional time. Something special about that city. Something special about that place. It's a place where God's presence dwelt. For me, one of the most defining moments of our time in Jerusalem was our visit to pray at the Western Wall or what's otherwise known as the Wailing Wall, the most holy site in Judaism. Because remember, we share this with our Jewish brothers and sisters. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's go praise the Lord. They're all sons of Abraham grafted in. But this is the most holy site to Judaism, praying there. I could see shoved into the cracks. You can look closely there. There are small bits of paper that have many prayers put on them, millions and millions of prayers from millions and millions of people who have gone to that wall, from world leaders to the most humblest of person who has prayed in that place. Off to the left-hand side of the wailing wall, there is an entrance into a large tunnel, it's like a room where the western wall or wailing wall continues. And inside, hundreds of men, as I went in there, hundreds of men are praying. Hundreds of men are crying out to God. And literally, I, I, I could have 
I, I, I could have watched them. I, I, I could have stayed there all day watching what was happening there. Absolutely fascinating. It had a glass floor in it that you could see. And as you looked at this glass uh, uh, floor, you, you, you could look down to the... Because you think you're walking on where it stood. But what you don't realize is that there's so much history there. So much history. If you look down, I don't know, it's 20 meters, 50 meters, you can follow the wall as the archaeologists have dug out. So over, I don't know how many thousands of years, you can see there was the start of the foundation of the wall down there. We're only walking on another layer of it. Blows your mind. But I want to ask today the question simply this. What's so special about the wall anyway? What's so special about the wall? For, for, for the Jew, the Western Wall is the base of the, the Temple Mount. It's the, it's, it's the base of, where, where, of what is called the Temple Mount. And again, if you ask the question, what's so special about it? Because there's nothing in Scripture that mentions that this wall is special. In fact, it's not even mentioned. So, so why is it special? Why is it Holy, why is it so important to the Jew that they will gather there in their thousands? For that, we have to go back to the beginning. For that, we have to go back to Genesis, the book of Genesis. Genesis means new beginnings. We have to go back to the book of beginnings to understand how important that place actually is. In Genesis 22, verse 2, it says, God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Everybody say Moriah. Moriah. Sacrifice him there. We've asked this year at Easter time, which is also the Jewish Passover, which is also the Day of Atonement. All happens at that time. Take your son to, 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 to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there. We ask the question at Easter time, what kind of God would ask a person to would ask a father to sacrifice his son? Remember, on the way to Moriah, the, the place God had told him to go, Isaac asks his dad. He's like, Dad, the, 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 the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide a lamb. God will do it. And if you know the story, Abraham prepares to offer his son, but he doesn't. Why? Because God stops him. And then God himself provides the sacrifice. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. God himself provides the sacrifice. Genesis 22, verse 13. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, listen, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said that on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You always meet God on the mountain. It's always up. Yeah. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What kind of God would ask a man to kill his son? Well, the answer is not this one. Right. See, remember, he, he is different than all other gods. All other gods and goddesses. We say, give me your son, sacrifice, the most valuable thing to you. The beautiful thing about the God of the Hebrews 
was it was not asking man to do something radical for him. It was about a God who did something radical for man. Come on. He made a way where there seemed to be no way. Friend, I want to tell you at the same time, you might be stuck in a situation going, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. I've made my sacrifice or whatever. I want to tell you something stuck in the thicket, ready over there to make a way for you. Come on. To get you through that which you need to get through. Preacher preaching. But it was at that time where God provided the sacrifice that he was first called, listen, Jehovah means the Lord. Jehovah means the Lord. Jehovah Jireh, which means the provider. He was Jehovah Jireh in Hebrew. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord who provides. He didn't provide money. People said, well, he provided a Mercedes. No, no. He provided a sacrifice. Come on. Don't turn into something. He he provided a sacrifice. So Abraham no longer had to. And because of that, because God provided a sacrifice, Isaac could what? He could walk free. Come on. Well, I hope you get in the picture. Now understand this. This is, this is important. If you don't get this, you'll miss it. But you've got to understand this. Where Abraham and Isaac stood then, way back, thousands of years ago, where they stood then, Jerusalem's temple stands now. Where they stood then, where Jerusalem is built on, is Mount Moriah. Oh, I hope you get this. It's Mount Moriah. It's the same place. The same place. The Temple Mount is built on the very Mount Moriah, on the very same area where God provided the sacrifice. Now listen. Moriah means this. Moriah, the actual name in Hebrew means chosen by Jehovah. Chosen by the Lord. In other words, this is the place the Lord has chosen to provide what? To provide the sacrifice. You can understand now why, how important this is. This place, this mountain, this, this area is where I, I, I have chosen it. Out of all the places on earth, I've chosen it for the place where sacrifice would be given. And it was on the top of that temple mount where the biblical first and second temples were built. First by David's son, Solomon, and then by King Herod later on. It was in these temple courts, listen, understand. It was in these temple courts that Jesus, when he was lost, you remember, Jesus' parents lost him. He'd come up on that pilgrimage, up the Jericho Road, up the hard way. They'd come up by their thousands, probably by their millions. They couldn't all fit in Jerusalem. There were so many. That's why beautiful are the mountains that surround Jerusalem. Because they're like an echo chamber that came around as long as they could see the temple. They would gather all over the hills on the Mount of Olives and Gethsemane, all everywhere. As long as they could see the temple. Millions. And they celebrated Passover and the Day of Atonement. They thought about all of these things. And on their way back, you remember uh, Joseph and Mary, bad parenting. They, three days in, they hadn't even checked, where's Jesus? Where's the kid? And so three days in, they're like, hey, where's Jesus? They're going down, back home, down to Galilee or wherever it was they were living. And so, so they go down and they go, hey, we've lost Jesus. So they go rush back up to Jerusalem. And they're looking all around Jerusalem. Where is he? Where was he? In the temple. He said, didn't you, how can you not know I wouldn't have been here? I, 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 why didn't you understand? You can find me in my father's house. Of course I'd be here. This is the same temple where Jesus made a whip. 
And, and, and where he, he came and he overturned the temples of the money changers. He threw up the tables and he said, zeal for my house will consume me. This is meant to be a house of prayer for many nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. People are like freaking out. This guy's wild. It was in this same place. This, this was his father's, father's house. See, understand this about the temples. The temples were some of the most significant buildings that man had ever seen. They're, they're most, some of the most spectacular stru structures the world had ever seen. Herod's temple was 15 stories high. Now, the temple consisted of outer courts and inner courts, which led to what was called the holy place and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Separating the holy place from the most holy place was a curtain. The curtain was 18 meters high. Friends, you can imagine this was, a, but it would have been a curtaining nightmare if you're a curtain company. The curtain was 18 meters high, nine meters wide, three feet thick. That's a serious curtain. And that separated the holy place from the most holy place. The holy of holies, the most holy place was where God's presence dwelt. The Shekinah glory. Shekinah just means the divine presence. The divine presence of God dwelt there. That's why everybody came to Jerusalem. That's why they all gathered to Jerusalem. That's where God had decided to reside. His presence was there in a tangible, tangible way. In Solomon's time, it was the home of the Ark of the Covenant, not in Herod's time. The Ark of the Covenant could not be found. But Solomon's time was the home of the Ark of the Covenant. Movies have been made about it. Indiana Jones and the Lost, Lost Ark. I can assure you, when they open it, things don't come out of it and fly all over the place. But the Ark was, had the mercy seat of God. The Hebrew high priest, I understand something about the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could enter that place. Only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies, and he could only do it on once, one time a year. One time a year. When? During the Passover and the Day of Atonement. Only on those times could he enter into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. In fact, if he went and did it by any other time, he would die. In fact, it's like they would have warning stones that would warn, don't go in that you will die. So no one would go in there. In fact, they used to tie a string to the high priest so that if he died while he was in there because he did something right, they could pull him back out. So it really was the most holy place. And inside, behind that curtain, was the presence of God. Remember, Moses said, can I just see you? God said, turn, you have to turn your face away. You, you can't see me and live. My glory will overshadow you. So holy was that, was that place. Like I said, it could only be entered once on the Day of Atonement. Now the temple King Herod built was destroyed by the, the Romans in AD 70, after 70 years after Jesus' death, birth, death. And that's why many Orthodox Jews today, you look at them, you see them, they wear black. Why? Because they're still mourning the destruction of the temple. They're still mourning but not only in the morning, they're believing God for the restoration of a third temple. 
that it will be built again. And the Bible declares such a thing will take place. Prophetically, such a thing will take place. So adamant are they that a third temple will be built, that they have already built the furniture for that third temple. And not only can you just say, well, that's are you short? Yes, it's on display. You can go into the center outside the Grand Synagogue in the Jewish Quarter and you can look at the furniture that is re- there ready to go in the temple. It's on display facing the western wall, facing where the temple will go. As if to say we are, we are, we are believing God for this. However, there is one small problem and that is the Dome on the Rock. Today, Islamic Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome on the Rock sits on what is now the temple Mount, built by Islamic invaders in 16 invaders in 1690, sorry 691, on the site considered to be the third holiest site in Islam. Now they believe this is where. Uh, um, yeah, I won't even go there. Don't know. Don't even go there. I'm not going there. But it's the third holiest site in Islam. Now, understand, no Jew or Christian can worship there. None. Again, it says a lot about the tolerance of the Jewish people. That their very holiest place is a place where they themselves cannot go. And when they've allowed that to be, that to be so. This is the most contested piece of real estate on the planet Earth. This is a place where they say something happens here, World War III. Literally. This is the most contested place. Not yet. This is the most contested place. On earth, it's a very, it's, it's like a, it's like a tinderbox. But know something about Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as I said, when you ascend, when you go up the mountain, what do they do? They sing songs. Jerusalem is full of songs. Wherever you go, there are pilgrims, hundreds, maybe thousands, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims, millions a year are coming into Jerusalem. They will sing through the streets on the Via Della Rosa. Uh, uh, through every street, there will be people singing in processions. The Jews sing. The Christians sing. And they can sing everywhere in Jerusalem except on that place. Except there, there is no singing on the Temple Mount. There is no singing allowed to be done. No worship allowed to be sung in that place. Mine, we were so moved at the garden tomb when some Koreans were there. And you were there with... There'll be 30 other people from all over the world, groups of people from all over the world, and they were singing and they were wailing and crying out to God. I, don't, I couldn't understand, but you could feel the presence of God. You'd go to every different place of their people singing and worshiping God, but not in that place. No songs are sung. No prayers are prayed by any Christian or any Jew. So what makes the wall special? The wall... Understand this, the Wailing Wall is believed to be the nearest point to where the Holy of Holies once stood. That's why it is sacred. The wall is a part of the original foundation of what's called the Temple Mount. And to the Jew, that's why it is holy. To the Jew, that's why it is sacred. And so to gather there, sometimes they will gather there in their tens of thousands. And even on the Day of Atonement, just like we would celebrate Easter, even on the Day of Atonement, they will gather by their tens of thousands. To what? To cry out to God 
to say, God, please forgive us, to say, God, we have sinned, to say, God, have mercy on us. For they cannot pray on the Temple Mount, but they can pray as close as they can to where they believe the Holy of Holies were. And so once a year on Passover, on the Day of Atonement, they still gather, even till this day, to cry out to God for mercy. As you can see in this short clip right here. For the Christian, our experience the Wailing Wall is different. Why? Because our day of atonement has already come. Some 2,000 ago, in this very Jerusalem, our day of atonement took place. Where God himself, Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides, the God who provides, he provided at that time, through Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, and that he gave his own son, Jesus. Isaac asked Abraham, where is the lamb? When John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching, he cried out, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as Christ died on the cross, it says at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that separated man from the very presence of God. The curtain that separated man from his Shekinah glory. The curtain that separated sinful man and a holy God. At that moment, was gone. Torn in two from, from top to bottom. Think about it. 18 meters high, 9 meters wide, 3 feet thick. Somebody said this. It's as if the very hands of heaven had been gripping the curtain, looking across to Calvary. And at that moment that Jesus gave up His Spirit, He tore the curtain in two. At that moment. At that moment, our sins were forgiven. At that moment, your sins were atoned for. At that moment, our sins were atoned for. At the moment Christ gave up His Spirit, God tore down the curtain. So what does that mean for us? What does that signify for us today? Simply this, that you and I are welcome to listen to freely enter into God's presence any day, any time, any place. See, something happened in the death of Christ that opened a door for you and me. And that something is described by the writer of Hebrews, Paul. I hope you get this. So brothers and sisters, we are completely, not just half, we're completely free. Completely free to what? Completely free to enter the most holy 
place. To enter the most holy place without fear. Without fear. And remember, we just talked about it. You can only go into that the most holy place only once a year. But now you and I are completely free. Come on. You and I are completely free to enter into the presence of God. Anytime, not once a year. Oh, I've got to wait. No, no. You never say God is far away from me. You have now the complete freedom. Come on, somebody get excited in here. To enter into all that God has made available to you. The curtain has been torn. So brothers and sisters, we are completely free to enter the most holy place without fear because the blood of Jesus' death, we can enter through a new living way, new and living way that Jesus opened for us. It leads through the curtain, Christ's body. See, what happened to the flesh of Jesus happened to the curtain. In His torn flesh, we find the splendor of an open door. Because His flesh was torn, the curtain could be torn. Ephesians tells us, for through Him, through Christ, we both have access to the Father. You have access to to God. You have access. No longer do you have to travel to Jerusalem. No longer do you have to find some special place here or there. You now have access to God. That's why we say, He who made a way, He has made a way where there seemed to be no way. It says, Now Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you were far away. You who were far away from God have been brought near. We have been brought near to Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 in the message, God put the wrong on Him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. In John chapter 2, when Jesus cleansed the temple, when he made that whip and overturned the tables of the money changers, you've got to understand, they got pretty mad that he was doing that. They got pretty upset. They're like, by whose authority do you do this? If you give us a miraculous sign that shows you, you have the authority to, to do this. Jesus just said this. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. Remember, he's standing right there. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? He says, But he was speaking of his temple, the body. And he would die, and he would raise again in three days. Why now? Because of the new covenant, God lives on the inside of us. We are his temple. Somebody say, Thank you, Jesus. Jesus said to the woman, Samaria in John 4 verse 21 he said believe me a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem yet a time is coming and has now come and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So for me, what does the Western Wall mean? Is it a sacred place? Of course. For it's the closest point to still. God's never said He's going to take His presence from that place. And I'll tell you, you, can, you, you definitely sense something there. 
But for me, the Western Wall was a place as a Christian to thank God for what He did right there so I can worship Him right here. A place to thank God for what He did right there so I can worship Him right here. In fact, I can worship Him here. I can worship Him there. I can worship Him anywhere. Why? Because the curtain has been torn. God is near to me. God is near to you. Don't fear. We have the confidence we can enter into the most holy place. Life is done in the valleys. But we go up 